Welcome to Coming Clean with Indy Lee, a podcast series about living with passion, acting with purpose, and being fully present. I'm your host, Indy Lee. Our guest today is the incredible Leah Thomas. Leah is an intersectional environmental activist and eco-communicator. I had the pleasure of having a virtual coffee date with Leah a few weeks back, and I knew I absolutely had to have her on the podcast. Okay, Leah, first of all, again, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast or my podcast. Um, I am so excited for people to get to know you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I thought I'd start out with asking you to really (laughs) guide us through the conversation and really define what it is you're doing. So most importantly, like what would you say or how would you define intersectional environmentalism and environmental justice? Thank you so much for that lovely intro. Um, So for me, I learned about intersectional theory back when I was in college and intersectional theory was created by Kimberly Crenshaw. And it identifies the ways in which our dynamic and overlapping identities might influence the way that we experience the world around us and how the world around us experiences us. So, for example, we're complex individuals. So I'm a black woman and I also grew up in St. Louis and all of those things impact my identity. So from race to culture to religion to sexuality, on and on and on. All of those parts of our identities overlap and influence the way that we might experience both prejudice and privileges. Um, And for context, I learned about intersectional theory through intersectional feminism, which is a type of feminism that makes sure to advocate for all women and addressing the ways that race and class and gender and sexuality might impact that person's womanhood. Um, And I started to realize that something similar could be applied to environmentalism as well, especially when I learned about environmental justice, like you mentioned, and started reading the data of how people of color and low-income communities in the United States experience climate injustice and environmental hazards at higher rates. And that includes anything from increased exposure to poor air quality, poor water quality, lack of access to green spaces, and also closer proximity to toxic waste sites and landfills. So when I started to see that data and how it varied around, it varied on um, race and wealth lines, I realized that, okay, I feel like the environmental conversation should also focus on the people component yeah. and our identities, especially if people of color will be facing the brunt of the climate crisis. And it felt incredibly urgent. So I define intersectional environmentalism as a type of environmentalism that advocates for the protection of both people and the planet. And it identifies the ways in which injustices happening to marginalized communities and the earth are interconnected. It brings injustices done to the most vulnerable communities and the earth to the forefront and doesn't minimize or silence inequality. Um, So that's how I define intersectional environmentalism. And to me, it's a path to accomplish environmental justice. And environmental justice is when, um, so those disproportionalities that I mentioned earlier are no longer happening and everyone has access to a clean, safe, and healthy environment. Whoa. You have a very... (laughs) huge task in front of you (laughs) but I mean when you started this work or started to identify this when you were in college 
And now here we are in the midst of a pandemic and we know that the marginalized communities are definitely at higher risk for all the reasons that you're talking about in addition to everything that's going on environmentally in terms of green space mm-hmm. and the planet, et cetera. And so we're in this pandemic, then Black Lives Movement, you know, really brings to the forefront the issues that have, should have been addressed for the past 400 plus years. Mm-hmm. And then walk me through how then all of a sudden your um, advocacy work really just blossomed in this moment. Yeah, I never in a million years would have thought that a pandemic and the reemergence of basically a civil rights movement would lead to increased visibility in my work. Like, I definitely wasn't expecting that in any way, shape, or form, but basically during the George Floyd protest, I posted a graphic um, that said environmentalists or Black Lives Matter, pretty simple, and also included my definition of intersectional environmentalism. And that was the first time that I had really sat down and thought about what I wanted that definition to be. Mm-hmm. And I also posted in that same post um, an intersectional environmentalist pledge, just in case environmentalists wanted to be better advocates to people of color. And it really is the power of the internet. I didn't do anything I don't I don't know the answer but basically I posted it and within a couple of hours my following had increased by over a thousand people um and it just kept going and going and going until I had a following of over a hundred thousand people in a matter of about a week or two um so it's really the power of the internet and environmentalists deciding to collectively act to amplify a message that I guess a lot more people resonated with than just me Um, So it's hard to answer that why it happened, but basically it was just the most organic thing where maybe a lot of other environmentalists were also wondering how they could be better advocates in the fight for civil rights um, as well. I mean, it was almost like the perfect storm, to be quite honest with you. But I think, you know, what you're doing and taking on is what everybody is now seeking, like, how can we help? And it's not just about making sure that the Black Lives Movement and people are aware of exactly, as you're saying, the civil rights movement. It goes far beyond that. It goes, it goes to how do we systemically start to address the problem? Because from what I'm hearing from you, it also, it starts with the environment, And that's more than just, you know, um, you know, what, where, where we're living, but it, it it also goes to what is being made available for everybody at every income level. Mm, Exactly. And um, I think, yeah, you make a great point. Like looking at the way we treat the environment as a society is a really good indicator of how we treat our people. Because if as a society we're degrading the environment and not protecting our literal home, and if we're not protecting our home, how are we going to protect our neighbors around us? So I think, you know, exploring those interconnections and the ways that society treats the environment is a really good indicator of what we need to do to treat people better as well. So what are the first steps for people to get involved and how are you... I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, but then it's another thing for people to actually activate themselves. Mm -hmm. So what are the actions that you and other environmentalists are taking to start to create change here? 
yeah, I think the first step, a lot of people are like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to save everybody. And I have to say, like, for me, the first step is really listening and learning because when you, with education, you can arm yourself with the knowledge to be a better advocate and take action. So I truly recommend people just following other people on social media, reading their literature, supporting their art and their projects to learn about different cultures. Because for me, even though, you know, I made this little definition I had a lot to learn and I still have a lot to learn every day and I can't get I can't allow my ego to get in the way of that learning so for me for example a blind spot that I had for a long time in my um, environmental advocacy was accessibility and um, how things may or may not be accessible to people who are living with disabilities and things that Mm. I took for granted so even the ways that I was using certain colors and fonts and designs on Instagram, I had a lot of people call me in and say, Hey, Leah, this, you know, isn't compliant with ADA guidelines. And I would prefer if you could have higher contrast in your text. So listening to people and learning a little bit more about accessibility and not getting into a defensive place of saying like, Oh, I did, well, I didn't try to do that, you know, get over it but being, you know, empathetic and trying to learn from people who are trying to call me in. So I really, truly think that the first step is learning from communities that you maybe haven't, you know, been in touch with and reading their stories because you'll learn a lot about what sorts of organizations to support based on the content that they're posting or the things that they're writing. And then after you feel like you've kind of learned a little bit about these different communities, then figuring out how you can amplify the work that's already been done by people from these communities, because there's no need to be a savior necessarily in this fight for environmental justice, but what people could use the people who have been on the front lines for a long time is support. And that support could be monetary support. Sometimes that support could be amplifying a message on social media that support can be talking to your friends and family about diversity and inclusion and the climate crisis. Um, support can look different. So yeah, those are just a couple options. No, I, those are great options because I think people immediately think, okay, let's take action. And you're right. You, you need to first understand and listen because different communities are going to need different things and not yeah. being defensive of the way they want the help because it's not mm-hmm. about you. It's, it's simple mm-hmm. things, but you're right. Even when we go to the font and what's the contrast ratio, I don't think that people realize that, um, as a, yeah. you know, I'm a parent to a child that's dyslexic and different fonts. He can't even read. Mm-hmm. He's like, mom, I have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea what that says. He can't read. I mean, truthfully, he can't read script because of that. Um, so it's interesting to, to think about that even as it applies to what you're saying in your work as well. I also mm-hmm. noticed um, something that I got involved with very early on was the farm to table movement and building school gardens to really provide access to foods in urban areas because mm-hmm. it wasn't just donating food and, uh, and things of the like. It's also let's teach children the importance of stewardship of the earth, but also how to grow their own foods in urban settings. Yeah, and absolutely. It was amazing to see how schools and communities were taking non-green spaces and converting them into community gardens that the schools and the young adults and even the kids were then maintaining. And as a result, guess what? They're more willing to eat better. They want to eat the food that they're growing. 
And all of a sudden we're having conversations about the importance of health. And it's those simple little changes that can truly create significant effects in communities. Yeah. So there, I think food accessibility, like that's such an important conversation to have. Um, because I think a lot of, like you're saying, a lot of people don't know about like food deserts and food apartheid Mm -hmm. and the fact that a lot of people, they might want to eat organic produce or regeneratively grown produce. And it's not because they don't support those efforts, but it's because, you know, there's a root problem. A lot of people are living in neighborhoods where they don't have community gardens. So if someone wants to be an advocate or an ally and maybe supporting projects to bring organic produce into those areas in an empowering way where students can learn how to grow their own food. So it's not necessarily saying, how can I come in and save you? But, hey, here's a really cool, empowering thing that can help support this community and also help end food apartheid and any accessibility concerns. And what I've learned from, and I don't even know, Lee, if you know this, before I got into skincare, that's what I was doing. I was helping with school gardens because it was very important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, this is something that I am very passionate about. I have a 750 square foot greenhouse in my backyard and I was growing wow. organically grown um, starter plants and vegetable plants and herbs um, to then bring to school gardens so that we can plant them together and start teaching and having that conversation. But just even the cost of earth boxes, they're just not that expensive. I mean, and you can do this with plastic, you can do them with garbage cans cut in half. And there are a lot of different ways to upcycle, um, you know, discarded plastic containers to help create these these movable gardens. And it was just such a fascinating thing to see the looks um, on the eyes of these kids who were like literally pulling up these organic carrots that they were growing themselves and then bringing home. And it was making that available. Um, and it, it was just, to me, it was some of the most exceptionally moving parts of my career when I was doing that. So, and by the way, the same thing goes for skincare. How do we make it accessible? And it comes down to the cost as well as, is it basically available universally? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now everybody, I saw Harper's Bazaar, etc. With everything coming forward, and like you said, this is, you went from like literally, you know, a small following to, you know, over 100,000. How are you handling this? Like, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you really finding self-care for yourself right now. I mean, basically your, your passion is almost taking on the world, which is not an easy thing to do. So how are you taking care of yourself through this massive growth when so many people are now coming to you for help? Oh, that's such a good question. And I really appreciate you asking. Um, And I think that's something that should be brought up a lot more with activists um, because I think there is a lot of giving and wanting to educate. And sometimes I feel a tremendous amount of pressure because you know, if I'm getting a lot of direct messages or companies or people who are like, Leah, help me. Like, I want to do this work. Please educate me. It's a tremendous amount of pressure because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Because if I say the wrong thing, then maybe, you know, I won't convince someone to care. And if I, if I can't convince someone to care, like I kind of go down this anxious spiral Mm -hmm. and I have to remind myself over and over again, like I'm just one person and I'm human And in order to do this work, that I do need to set some boundaries. And that means that I won't be able to respond to the hundreds of direct messages and emails that I get every day. 
And I found myself getting exhausted so quickly um, in this process because I just wanted to, the fight feels urgent to me because at the end of the day, that means that maybe people that look like me or from communities like mine might have a shot at life. And that's such a high stake. But then remembering, okay, I'm just one person in this process and I need to take a step back. And I need to reconnect with the things that I love in order to do this work that can be really draining. So I make sure to spend time at home, relaxing. The silliest of things, I love watching reality TV to just <laughs> turn my brain off. Like, I get it. I, I get love, it. <laughs> I love Real Housewives. I know that's not like an environmental thing at all. Listen, but, it's um, not one thing yeah. that defines you, right? You need to find where you're going to be able to turn <laughs> off to, so that you can do the work that you need to do. Exactly. And I'm also experimenting with just like fun content on my personal Instagram, green girl, Leah, because I want to show people that environmental activists can be human. They can be fun. They can be, that's why I love writing for publications like L and, you know, like Vogue or just places, refinery 29 where people might not be used to seeing this sort of content, but I want to make this sort of, Thing a little bit more normal and then also show that activism doesn't have to be boring and super serious and then I can post a video of me dancing and still be you know an environmental science person yeah, I think, at the same time I think there's this I, I hate to say it, but there's this generalized concept that you know environmental activists are it's go 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 and you have to agree with them and it's so heavy and I love that you're making it approachable because then people are willing to understand if they feel that they, they couldn't possibly measure up or they don't understand it because it's so heavy that they might not be willing to invest in it emotionally. And you are creating that space where you're like, Hey, I'm just like you take a look at what I'm about as well. And I absolutely love that you do that. Cause I, listen, I, as you know, I follow you on Instagram and I love it when you're just sharing your music and you're dancing around and you're saying, Hey, I'm just, I'm a silly girl too. I'm having fun. But yeah, I also have this serious side because the, you're right. The, the stakes are so high here. This is not yeah. like, you know, um, I, I actually, I don't even know what to compare it to because we're talking about life and yeah. This is like do or die situations here. We've got to create change. It has to happen. And it's hard, it's hard to measure the, you can't do everything. You can't take this charge on all by yourself, et cetera. But yet at the same time, you're like, if I don't take this on, people are dying. So that's why I wanted Mm -hmm. to say like, how are you taking care of yourself? It's so important. How has the education and experience of working in environmentalism shaped like even brands that you're choosing in the beauty space and the personal care space and you're in the food space, like how is it changing your purchasing and consumer behavior? Mm, that's a good question. So yeah. How has my experience like in this space influenced the way that I like purchasing? Yeah. Like you're obviously you're going to look at things differently. Yeah. I love transparency. Yeah, I love transparency. I love when I go to a company and they are sustainable and they tell me what they're doing wrong. And I know that sounds a little silly, but I love when I see something that's like, okay, our product is made with 95% recycled materials and glass, but we have this, you know, one plastic part to it because, you know, we don't 
know what else to use, but we're investing in the technology to make this product better versus a company that portrays itself as being like perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, because I know sustainability is a journey. So I always look out for that sort of transparency, um, any innovations that a company is doing. If they have a sustainability report, I totally geek out over that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I love transparency and accountability. And when companies can say, yeah, you know, we did this wrong, but here's what we're doing to be better. Um, I love that because it feels a little bit, I can trust a company like that more than one that's, you know, pretending to be perfect because I've worked in sustainable companies. Like I worked at Patagonia headquarters for a little under two years and working there, they're basically, in my opinion, one of the most sustainable apparel companies in the world. And they are still able to acknowledge, you know, where they'd like to be, you know, 10 years from now and what innovations they'd like to do. And I think that helps shape for me, like, okay, this is, I want other companies to also be transparent as well. I love that. No, I think it's so important because there is no such thing as perfect. And by saying you are or saying that there isn't room for for you to improve is sort of like, are, are you really looking at yourself? Are you really yourself reflecting? I mean, we do it. We have an entire we call it AIIC, which is basically an entire division that is about looking at sustainability practices, looking at um, diversity and inclusion practices. And we have a group that's dedicated to it now within the organization so that we can continue to raise the bar for ourselves, which was something that was really important to um, Encore, which, which is the company that invested in us and in two other brands. And we as um, individual brands come together on the AAIC committee, which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's super awesome. So what's next for you? Hmm, that's such a good question. I definitely take on way more projects than I need to. So I think what's next for me is just learning how to experience rest. Rest is like a radical act of resistance and making sure that I kind of pace out my projects a little bit more. Um, I think because this is all so new for me, I was definitely living with a scarcity mindset of kind of like, oh, no you know, I gotta, I gotta do everything that I can and take every opportunity that comes my way. And I think just coming, you know, to peace with whatever may or may not happen in my career, um, and learning that I can take a little bit of a break and take a step back and focus on the projects that really mean a lot to me moving forward. And is there any projects that you want to share? Anything new that we could share with our listeners and how they can get involved? Because I, I, I'm going to put all the, in the show notes, obviously, Instagram, et cetera, and websites, all that stuff. But any news that you'd want to share and um, ways people can get um, become involved? That's a great question. Um, I would recommend following intersectional environmentalists and staying up to date on what we're doing. Um, we're launching a an accountability program, which is business specific sometime in the fall. We're working on that with researchers to get it up and running. It's a pilot program that's hopefully going to turn into a more automated training a little bit later, but we're super stoked about that. Um, and also to stay tuned for our mentorship program that's coming for young environmentalists to be paired kind of like a dating app with um, some of our council members and they can receive free mentorship um, and guidance um, from some of our council members. So that's something that we'll be opening up this fall as well. Oh my gosh. You are, you are amazing. 
I, I, I mean, like, you blow me away. You. Thank you. Um, no, thank you. Thank you. I always ask um, on the podcast three questions. So I'm going to go into mine. They don't have to be rapid fire. I'm not like that. <laughs> yeah. But definitely share what you're currently passionate about. Mm, I'm currently passionate about um, probably regenerative agriculture. I think it's a really cool climate solution if we can farm in a way where um, the soil can capture carbon and hopefully reverse some of the impacts of climate change. So I know that was kind of a boring, sciencey answer, but that's not, what I'm well, not for me. About. I'm geeking out at it, so don't worry. <laughs> As someone who's very involved in the ag world, I'm like, yes, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, I'm with you. Um, what's giving you? And people are like, I didn't know that about Indy. What's giving you purpose right now? Um, I think what's giving me purpose is that it's really cool with intersectional environmentalists, kind of like the spinoff organization of my work um that we're able to help people feel empowered and feel seen and heard and I think that's enough for me to keep going like if the work that I'm doing is helping people feel validated and also feel like they can be confident to go out in this world and create change I think yeah that gives me that keeps me going I mean just listening to you gives me purpose so I'm (laughs) And what are you currently practicing in order to be more present on a regular basis? I am putting down my phone. Mm -hmm. Um, That has definitely helped me be a little bit more present because I'm constantly plugged in. And also, safely, I'm taking little small retreat days at like Airbnbs and cabins. Um, because being in the same, you know, I feel very lucky to be able to do that, but being in the same environment sometimes doesn't, if I'm working here, sleeping here, having fun here, you know, I need a little bit of separation. So mm-hmm. just having little short vacations um, in different locations helps me kind of just stay present. Well, Leah, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I I really do appreciate it. I know how busy you are. So thank you so much for taking out a time from what everything you're doing to, to share thank with you. our listeners who you are and what you're doing. And I know we talked about it so people can follow you on Intersectional Environmentalist and Green Girl Leah on Instagram. Any other ways people should follow you? That is definitely the best way to follow me. Check me out on Green Girl Leah and also um, Intersectional Environmentalist. Leah, thank you so much for being on with me today. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Coming Clean with Indy Lee. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and ratings and reviews are always appreciated. If you have an idea for an upcoming episode, don't forget to email me at comingclean at indylee.com. 